0: morning comes from Acts chapter 16 verses 25 to 34 and you'll find that on page triple one two in the church bible. So that's Acts chapter 16 verses 25 to 34 and page triple one two. About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Amen.
1: Thank you, Rob. Lining the corridor that leads to Michelangelo's David in the Academia Gallery in Florence are these four incredible unfinished slaves. Uh, They were commissioned by Pope Julius as part of a highly elaborate plan for his tomb in 1505, uh, which involved him asking Michelangelo to make 40 statues for his uh, tomb. However, uh, Julius died and the huge project was eventually stopped. And as a result, Michelangelo worked on the project intermittently, but only really finished two of the 40 figures he'd been commissioned uh, to make. But these four sculptures at the academia, even though they are unfinished, I think represent something incredible. The first one we have there is The Awakening Slave. After seeing this statue, one blogger wrote this. The figure feels like it's writhing and straining and is going to immediately explode out of the marble block that holds it. The latent power one feels is extraordinary. Is this a Herculean effort to be born physically from the imprisoning stone or a titanic struggle to escape the bounds of physical reality and move onto some other plane? the awakening slave and then down the hall uh, on the left is the atlas slave i think this one is my favorite it's named after atlas who carried the entire weight of the world on his shoulders and you can just about see in the picture there that his head has not quite emerged from the stone and the weight of even his own creation is pressing down upon him Mm. And the slave seems to be pushing up on a weight so heavy it it threatens to compress him back into the marble. The Atlas slave. And then across the corridor is the bearded slave. This is the most finished of uh, Michelangelo's four slaves. He's almost free. Only his hands and part of his arm are unfinished. And maybe you can just about see in this photograph uh, he is still bound because he's bound by some straps around him that Michelangelo has put there he isn't bound by the stone in the same way but he's still bound but rather than straining against the marble you see in the other two figures there's a piece about this man he's almost free he's silent he's almost complete And it's now claimed that the artist actually deliberately left these figures incomplete uh, because he was trying to represent this eternal struggle that human beings have to free themselves uh, from their material trappings. I find these statues, I've never seen them in reality. Maybe some of you have. It's one of our, on our dream list of our family. We'd like to go to Florence, uh, and I'd like to see these. I'm not sure my children would. Uh, but I find uh, these statues really quite profound. Uh, there's something relatable about each one of them, isn't there? There's something different uh, that maybe we can relate to in them from our own lives. We can feel bound like that last bearded slave. Or we can feel that we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders as it presses down upon us like the Atlas slave. Or we can feel as though we're trapped, living some sort of repressed life, struggling uh, against the rock like that awakening slave at the beginning. We're designed for freedom. And yet, so often we struggle in life. We struggle under the weight of the world. We struggle in the weight of our own sin and the choices that we've made. We struggle under the weight of this fallen and broken creation as it presses upon us. And we and the whole of creation groan and strain under the weight of it. Even though life can be like this for all of us at some time or other, our passage this morning reminds us of the incredible freedom That Jesus Christ brings it's a a passage I think that's underpinned by the paradox that even though we have two disciples at the beginning of our passage Paul and Silas who are imprisoned they're in chains they're unable to escape they are the ones in our passage who are the most free that their freedom may not always be physical but they know and experience the freedom of Christ, the freedom that the Holy Spirit has brought them. Now, the reason that Paul and Silas have been dragged before the authorities is because earlier in the chapter, uh, we discover a slave girl who has been used by her owners to make money for them by telling fortunes. And she's been stalking Paul around the city, shouting to anybody who will listen, these men are the servants of the most high God. who uh, who are telling you the way to be saved. And Paul becomes so annoyed uh, by this girl that eventually he turns to her and he commands the spirit to come out of her. And after the spirit has left her, she's free. And the owners of this slave girl, realizing that their source of income has gone, are livid and they drag Paul and Silas uh, to face the authorities. Jesus brings freedom to the slave girl but the result of that is that Paul and Silas find themselves beaten they found themselves bound in chains and imprisoned facing an unknown fate and it's interesting uh, to note that actually when they are sent to prison uh, the jailer is told to guard them carefully guard them carefully I was wondering maybe the magistrate has heard uh, about some of the supernatural things uh, that have been associated with Paul and they're they're concerned he might escape. This man is a dangerous man. And so even though uh, they must have been weakened by the beating that they've had, even though Paul and Silas are bleeding and in great pain following the beating, the jailer puts them in the inner cell. He takes that command seriously. Guard them carefully. He puts them in the inner cell. And we read that he has fastened chains around their feet. And they're in the stocks. But remember that Paul and Silas know a freedom that is beyond the present. It's beyond their present situation and circumstances. They know a God who is greater. He is more powerful he is worthy of all honour and all praise, whatever their situation, whatever their circumstances. And so Luke records that they sit there in this inner cell praying and singing hymns to God. Sometimes life and, our, and in our circumstances, we can find uh, it just to be so difficult. Sometimes life can be so difficult, all we can do is lift our eyes to God and praise him anyway, because that is all there is left to do. I wonder whether something like this is going on for Paul and Silas here. They might have been praying for their own rescue. We don't know. But what we do know is that despite their chains, they know a deep freedom in their souls. They know freedom in Christ, which leads them to sort of break out in this spontaneous jail worship. And in the midst of of this singing and this praise, there's an earthquake. It's a miracle. The building is shaken. The doors fling open. All the prisoners' chains come loose. But surprisingly, the purpose of the earthquake is not to bring the prisoners freedom, but God has a greater, a bigger, a different purpose here. Because at this point in Luke's account, our attention is drawn back to the jailer. He's woken by the earthquake uh, and he sees that the doors of the prison uh, have been flung open and he assumes that all the prisoners have escaped and he knows what that will mean for him. And so rather than facing a Roman execution himself, in that moment he decides that he'd rather kill himself. But Paul hears what's going on and he calls out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for that jailer about to kill himself? Massive relief. And so the jailer comes out before them and I imagine that he sort of kneels at their feet and he says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Saved from what? All the prisoners are there. His life is no longer in danger. But the jailer seems to know that he needs saving from himself. He needs saving from everything that binds him he needs to be saved from his own life he needs to be saved from his own sin he needs to be saved from the the mess uh, that he lives in he needs saving for God and freedom for that jailer in that moment is simple believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household says Paul believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved believe in who he is What he's done, believe in the Lord Jesus. And so we find that the jailer accepts Christ Jesus into his life. And I'm sure in that moment he experiences freedom and is filled with joy as well. he, He experiences freedom. But what's really interesting is that in that moment he offers freedom as well. He cleans the wounds of Paul and Silas, freeing them from pain. He sets a meal before them. And it's only the next day that realizing that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens and they should never have been treated in the way they have been treated that they are given their freedom and they are released as well. Yes, this story is about Paul and Silas's miraculous freedom. But it's all about also about the miraculous freedom that Jesus salvation brings. It crosses social and cultural barriers. Uh, The Jewish missionaries, the Greek-possessed slave girl, the rough Roman jailer, they all experience the freedom that Jesus' salvation brings. (coughs) Got another sculpture for you this morning. Uh, This is, I can't say his name, zenos Fradukas sculpture. It's entitled Freedom, and it's in Philadelphia. Again, maybe some of you have seen it. And um, I just think it's the most powerful image of, of freedom. It's somebody breaking out of the confines of whatever holds them. Uh, in this sculpture, it's the confines of the bronze that he's just sort of pushing out of in each part of the sculpture. You can see the man just sort of slowly and strenuously emerging from the bronze until he has complete freedom. That man could be the jailer who's escaped from the confines of his sin, who has found salvation and freedom in Jesus. It could be the slave girl who'd been following uh, Paul and Silas around Philippi, freed from demon possession, freed from her slave owners. It could be the, the, the jailer experiencing freedom. It could be the other prisoners experiencing freedom. It could be a family stepping from their flimsy boat and taking the first steps on a Mediterranean beach. It could be a child rescued from the brick kiln or a brothel in India. It could be you and I. I'm sure that all of us can relate to this sculpture, that feeling of having an internal struggle and wanting to break free from something that holds us. Maybe it's struggling with a relationship. Maybe it's a a, a physical or a mental illness. Maybe it's struggling with a habit. Maybe it's struggling with some uh, behavior that you know is not God's first best for you, that's grabbed hold of you. We struggle so often on our own. But i think we only truly find the freedom exemplified in this last statue when we know the forgiveness of jesus the hope that he offers us the relationship he invites us into with him and so the good news for all of us is that because jesus died and rose again he has bought freedom for us paul reminds us this in ephesians 3 in him And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. Let's step into that freedom. Let's step into the life which Jesus has brought for each of us.